Hey, what's going on? This is Billy Newman, and you're listening to the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I am recording on the 21st of September 2017. I'm hanging out in the truck studio right now. I got my uh, computer out and uh, the camera bag and stuff. I've been going through some media stuff. I'm surrounded by flies right now. I'm out in the country. I had my window up, and I was sitting. I was eating some lunch, but it's strange out wherever I am, there's like a gajillion house flies. I think there's one on my phone right now. There's like 15 that have just swarmed into my truck. I haven't really, I haven't really dealt with that before. They're all over the place. Get out of your little flies. They're all over me. <laughs> um, so today I'm working on a bunch of photo stuff. I just got back uh, from a big photo trip, which is really cool. That's why I hadn't been doing a podcast for the last week, week and a half or so, two weeks. And uh, I have a bunch of uh, recording I need to do with Marina to sort of debrief a bunch of the travel and stuff that we did and uh, some of the photos things that we were trying to work on some stuff we struggled with some stuff that uh, that went really well for us uh, photo wise Um, and it's always interesting how that is and it's kind of a difficult thing when you go on a photo trip because there's just really a lot of parts of it a lot of pieces to a a bigger road trip like that that end up kind of not coming together for you the way that you want it's difficult you can kind of you can sort of, uh, what did what did Ansel Adams call it? Pre-visualize. You can pre-visualize to an extent of the photos you want to make. But uh, in a sense, I don't know, I really like that, the part where you're kind of engaging with some new thing that you don't quite understand or haven't really seen yet uh, when you're taking photos. Um, so I like the pre-visualization part of it. It's just uh, as I've done that, and on this trip in part, um, there's parts or there's times when it just doesn't really come together. Like you pre-visualized what was supposed to happen, but then the earth didn't, didn't do that part that one day you were there. And, uh, and that's kind of an interesting piece. That's sort of the challenge, like the fine art photography stuff. So you have to, you have to pre-visualize, but then you have to wait and wait and wait for that to actually happen. You know, you, you pre-visualize, I want a beautiful sunset and a fantastic mountain at a great angle in front of me. Um, with fantastic light, you know, at whatever time of the day that would be. You pre-visualize that. I think everybody does. I want this perfect image that everything fits inside of the 50 millimeters of lens that I'm using, you know. Uh, and there's places in the world that really provide that uh, exquisitely, like uh, like the Yosemite Valley. It seems like it's built to be had to have photos taken of it. Everything's just far enough away that it fits within a standard lens just perfectly. It's really fascinating how that is. And it's kind of built to be that way over time too. But that's one of the things that's so, uh, that's so magnificent about Yosemite and about a handful of, well, you know, a lot of those other places that have been uh, national parks or monuments that have been created is that they're just really stunning in some aesthetic way that it's kind of hard to pin down exactly, but it's really fascinating, you know, when you see, wow, yeah, like, that makes just such an incredible picture, just the way that it is. You don't really have to twist or bend or lean or something like that. It's just right there in front of you, and everything kind of squares up and lines up to be uh, to be in the image. But um, but there's those situations, and that's sort of photography on rails sometimes. Um, but when you're going out and you're kind of just traveling around and you're trying to find stuff and find events to photograph, or events is sort of a strong word, but uh, you know you're waiting for sunset or you're anticipating sunrise. Or even you're just anticipating, uh, you know, nighttime to take photographs, but then it's cloudy. You know, that happened to us uh, out in the Alvor Desert for a bit of the time that we were there. But there's a really cool uh, big um, uh, photo trip, did a lot of work. And uh, that's kind of a tricky thing is like you almost want to say vacation sometimes because it's not exactly the same thing you do every time. And it is traveling, but it's really just a road trip to 
bring media equipment with you so you can produce something that you have planned. And, uh, and that's part of it, you know, where you, you want to try and get some work in the can instead of just sort of exploratory uh, stuff that doesn't really have any definite ending or a definite, like, project that you're trying to produce for. So I like having some constraint, maybe you would say, but just, like, some necessity that requires you to produce something with, uh, with the time that you're out. Um, so I had a great time uh, being out and traveling. We, we took off after the, the university football game that I did some uh, photo work at. And then we jammed out and we went over to uh, Central Oregon. We spent the day road tripping out toward the Wallawa Mountains and Imnaha uh, or Imnaha? Im- Imnaha. I think I'm putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Uh, I think it's more of an Indian word. If you were to think of it like a like a Nez Pierce language, um, I think they they ride a little softer on the the N at least than I do with my I don't know my Western accent. You know, it's kind of funny if we're talking accents again. Still, uh, there's another spot that we stopped by, the Oahe River, and it's funny the Oahe River was named the Oahe because some some hillbillies back in the day, back in like what 1870s, 1880s. I don't know when it was, but uh, there was a Hawaiian, there was like a group of Hawaiians that had come to work on a railroad that was being put in, uh, in that part of Oregon, Idaho, Nevada, on this river, and, uh, and I guess one of the Hawaiians died, and so our hillbilly ancestors didn't know how to pronounce the word Hawaii, they thought that was too, or they didn't, they just didn't know. It was just some hillbilly, you know, railroad worker that said, it, Oahe? Is that man from Oahe? Shoot, he passed away. Let's name this river after him. So they named it the Oahe River, but it was actually after a Hawaiian uh, guy who was out there. I don't know, just something you read on a plaque when you're on a road trip out there on the what is it, Highway 75? It's like one of the most desolate places on earth once you get out there. It kind of goes from Nampa, Idaho, and it cuts back in through the Oahe Canyon area, which is really beautiful, fantastic visually to see, and it's kind of all part of that that Nevada, Idaho, Utah, high desert region that you start to get in where you see a lot of um, like dried Pleistocene uh, lakes, like playas, like the Alvor Desert, like uh, like the Bonneville Salt Flats is sort of like that, and then you know like the Black Rock Desert. But there's lots of places out there where uh, you just see you see where there would have been a lot of water deposits way back when the climate would have been quite different. But now you know it's it's on the far side of the rain shadow. It's at a higher elevation, and the weather pattern doesn't uh, doesn't drop the water that it used to deposit into the watersheds that seem like they're up there. It's, it's interesting when you look at that, like when we made it to the Alvor Desert. I know I'm jumping all over the place. The real story will come, you know, when I podcast with Marina. But uh, when we were in the Alvor, it's interesting because you're out on that playa and then you're kind of looking around and you're thinking, oh, interesting, like this is a whole, this is the base of a watershed that's all supposed to feed to this low point here at the base of the Steens Mountain. I think it's supposed to draw in from part of the Steens on that side, but um, but a lot of that goes westward. A lot of the water that would fall on the Steens would all fall west and fill up the Harney Lake and Malheur Lake, which used to be huge out there. That was kind of the watershed of the Steens. There's a few creeks that run off the east side, but really, one, you're dealing with a huge rain shadow now. And then the other side is that, uh, I think it was the Trout Creek Mountains that were a little further south as you kind of get to the Nevada border that were supposed to draw in uh, as the watershed that would fill up the Alvor Desert. And yeah, we just don't see any of that anymore. 
hardly any rain out there of any kind. I mean, it, uh, you see that out at the Black Rock Desert also, which is just, I think, one group of hills south. When you get there's a Black Rock Mountain, the Black Rock, I don't know what's out there. I've not actually been out there. Shoot, should go. Um, but out in the Alvord, it's really interesting kind of being on that rain shadow side, being in the big empty playa, and then kind of rec- recognizing that way back, or maybe not even that far back, it used to be a more active, um, a more active watershed that kind of drew, drew, uh, drew water into that area. And it's interesting, all over eastern Oregon you see that. Like when we were out in Heart Mountain on the Rabbit Hills in March, there was a lot of that, like a few pictures that I had that you see the... You see the contour of the land and how it used to be a huge lake that filled up, I think back in the Pleistocene, that filled up that whole Heart Mountain plush area. Um, and there's really just a, a ton of water out there. So it's interesting when you get out, out to eastern Oregon, you can really see the changes of water erosion on the land and uh, and how that worked over, over a lot of time. In fact, another plaque I read was out when we were in the Hell's Canyon, which was tough, like I was saying earlier, of things coming together and then not coming together. It came together, we made it to Hell's Canyon, and then a big fire started up in Riggins, Idaho. I think it was like just on the far side of, uh, of the valley there, but a fire popped up, and then all the smoke kind of dropped into the canyon, and so you couldn't really even see across the canyon to the Seven Devils, or you, could, you just couldn't see any of the immenseness of, of the Hell's Canyon area or the Snake River at the bottom of it. You just saw smoke, which anybody in Oregon on the West Coast in August kind of understands what seeing smoke was like. So it wasn't quite what I was looking for, and it, it sort of hung out there for a while. It you know, just kind of would blow around and, and blow within where we wanted to be, so... Um, it was kind of interesting, you know, how you, you set it up, you get there, but then some of the pieces maybe don't come together, um, in the, in the natural world that is, um, like smoke or, you know, poor Riggins, Idaho and all the effort they have to put in to fight a fire. Shoot, I don't get my photo. Darn it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, a lot of photo stuff up there, but when we were up there, I was looking and it said that the Snake River, uh, you know, like cut the Hell's Canyon gorge out, and it was, uh, I think it was deeper from the, the top of the summit of the, the mountain to the bottom where the valley is. I think that was deeper than, they say, the Grand Canyon. It's kind of interesting how it is because it comes up to the top of a mountain and then down to the base of a valley. It's a little different than just being flat and then eroded down into the earth, like what we see in the uh, Colorado River when it rides through the Grand Canyon. But really cool area uh, where we were at. Got to travel around, got to take a ton of photos, got to work a ton on the Sony equipment, and uh, I've been trying to pump that up and get all the the gear and all the pro stuff set up. I got a battery grip finally for the A7R, which is fantastic. I'm really digging having the battery. You know, it's a, the the things that I'm noticing about it. The pros is like super well high quality, like high megapixel images and raw files, which is really cool, and like a total. At least it's fine. It's the first time it's kind of in the range of, prof- of modern professionalism. You know, like when, I, when I'm talking about the files that I'd be able to make. I can make raw files that are 36 megapixels. That's way more and way bigger than, you know, things I've been able to do in the past. Like when I worked with the D2H, that was 4 megapixels. I couldn't even, you know, hardly make an 8 by 10 of that without it getting pixelated. So it was really just, you know, fun to put photos up on the internet with. Which is probably all that I end up doing, but it's really cool having this option of really getting to print big if I want to. The next part that's a pro is the low light capability. Really fascinating. Really amazing that uh, it's just like the the new generation of technology does so much better. It's really the first time that I've used a camera and it seems like you can capture what you see with your eye, at least when it comes to low light. If you pull the ISO up high, 
um, which I've seen in other like Canon cameras in the past, and Nikon's done a great job of getting past 100,000 ISO. But, uh, but really with the A7S, uh, the A7, A7R, A7R2, A7, you know, all that, the whole Sony line, the whole full frame Sony line seems to just be killer with, uh, with the way that it's able to render those images that you take with a high ISO. So that's what's uh, been really cool. The cons of it, though, sometimes is that uh, because it's more like a device, like I talked about before, uh, the battery's running all the time. And so you really kill through one of those more simple batteries uh, if you're working with it. Like if you're taking a lot of photos or if you're shooting videos, you'll really grind through a battery. Um, I think I'd, I'd moved through quite a few, like when I shot a, a wedding a couple weeks back. We did a couple weddings and like we just really killed through those batteries. I'd have a battery on a charger. So I got the battery grip, which is cool. It lets you throw two batteries into it. And it also kind of fills out the, the size of the body of the camera a little bit more. If you're looking for super compact, it's great probably the way it comes. But I was always kind of happy with the, the bigger, more square body you got with the D3, D2, HD, 4, D5, you know, the or the what, the 1DX, 1DS Mark for what you know whatever it was the, the big canon camera the big uh, professional nikon camera i really liked that that base grip and i liked um being able to use that bottom grip to to roll over into portrait mode and then still have like a shutter button and uh and like an aperture shutter control on the back there too so all that stuff was uh, was part of why i wanted to add on to it a little bit and um i got to get another battery but uh, it's been awesome having that and it's 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 cool kind of filling out the the camera a little bit more as like a full professional piece um but with that i want to get an l plate i don't know if you guys know what that one is but it well you know it looks like an l it's a metal machine bracket and it's got two tripod holes on it one of them's on the horizontal and one of them's on the vertical and what that allows you to do is uh well i guess actually you'd say it has three tripod holes on it or one of them's a mount, but you mount it to your camera, and then it's you got the option of putting your camera on your tripod in portrait mode, like where it's it's just set up straight on the tripod vertically, or you can put it in, in landscape mode where you can set it horizontally and uh, and take photos also. Seems like a small thing, but it changes the way that your, your tripod functions a lot, and it's really kind of an inconvenience with a lot of tripods. They don't really let you swing 90 degrees to the other side, you know, around to, to kind of get you into that position a lot of times. It's kind of interesting, like, when you start working with tripods a lot, they're, they're sort of limited in the range of motion that they can really let you do, especially when you kind of want to quickly move from eye level to really low or to really high. Um, sometimes it helps, but sometimes I don't know if it really helps that much. Um, but I've been trying to get into shooting with a tripod a lot more. I really love the carbon fiber Manfrotto legs that I've got. I want to get a new head, though, after this trip I've been working with like a, it's like a pan and tilt head. It's that three axis photo head, you know, where you have those lock offs and you have to roll it and then pan it and then lock it. And then you have to roll this knob and then you have to like tilt or, you know, yaw. I don't know what those, what those are. Is that an airplane term? Um, on the starboard side, that's different too. That's boats. Um, so uh, what you have to do though is just kind of get it set up on the thing. But uh, what I'm trying to switch to is, is a ball head, like the Manfrotto uh, ball head that goes on the top um, where you just kind of you drop it loose and then you move it to any position that you need and then you lock it in again. And um, it might be a little faster for me or for some of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to get a little bit more patient with some of that and I want to get into more of the long exposure stuff that I can do with the wide angle lenses that I have for the, the A7R. Um, to get into the uh, the astrophotography, or just taking photos of the night sky and trying to put some art together that uh, that sort of mirrors 
um, some of the intensity of the light that we're picking up in the night sky and some of those stars and then some of the interesting landscapes. I'm really trying to figure that out. I tried to do a bit of that on the trip, but a little like I was saying, we got hit with a week of September weather pretty hard. Um, so probably like most folks have been noticing, it's been uh, mostly cloudy, but it's also added uh, a layer of photos that I didn't think I was going to get, which is uh, some of those mid-afternoon textures in the sky that look really cool. Like right now, I'm even looking out and I see a, a layer of, uh, what are, I, what are, trying to go back to cloud school. So I see the cumulus clouds and then I see like a layer up from that, which is cool. Is that Nimbus? It's not Cirrus yet, but maybe it's, it's not Cumulonimbus. Those are the other ones. Alto, Cirrus, Cirrus, Cumulus, Nimbo, Nim, Nimbo, Cumulus. Shoot, I don't remember. But I'm looking at uh, some wispy clouds, some clumpy clouds, uh, a couple of different layers. And it looks really nice. And it's been cool to kind of get some photographs, some photographs of that also. Uh, especially like out when we were traveling through Eastern Oregon, there's so many cool unseen landscapes out there. And I've always been a sucker for the, uh, the high desert view of stuff. So the f stuff that I'm working on today to get past the trip and travel and photo stuff, what I've been doing since I got back is I've been trying to take all the cards, uh, all the SD cards that I shot video and photos on, and I've been trying to ingest all of the, that media onto a hard drive and onto a second hard drive and into a catalog so I can go through and start sorting all those images and then pulling out the photos that I really like and then uh, trying to edit some of that content together and then schedule it so that it goes out and so that some people see it sooner or later. Um, so that's what I've been trying to work on and it's kind of a big process. I think it's like, it's like half a dozen full cards, which probably ends up being, uh, I don't know, what, like 50 gigabytes, something like that. Uh, maybe it's more than that. Like when, uh, when I'm done with it, uh, probably including video, maybe it is more than that. Um, so it was cool, uh, going to shoot and it's cool, uh, getting to save those files. It's the interesting thing though, like with a, a newer camera, bigger files, it means, it means bigger all the way down. Like, you know, they're bigger files on the camera. They're bigger files on your hard drive. They're bigger files when you take, you know, 3,000 of them. That's way bigger. It's way bigger than the other one. It's exponentially, like, larger. Well, it's not exponentially. It's, it's by scale. But, man, does it really increase when you have each, each picture ends up being four times bigger than the photos you used to take. Wow, does that get way bigger when you take, 3,000 photos or something. It's four times bigger than it would have, you know, the space it would have taken on the computer back in the day. So it's interesting. But uh, it's interesting getting used to. But all of that kind of goes to trying to set up the hard drive space that I have. I use an external drive a lot of the time. And, you know, realistically, I use a one terabyte external drive, which is sort of, it's fine. It's, it's a little bit of a weak drive. I want to get a, a I want to get a pro drive. I want to get some bigger space, really. You know, I have a four terabyte at home that, uh, that backs up what I have here and then, and then a lot of extra stuff uh, in duplication. But then I've been putting all the videos and media and stuff from the trip on this drive and in the catalog here. But I'm trying to go through and I'm trying to strip all the software from my computer that I don't need or don't want. And I'm trying to add in some stuff that, uh, that could be a little bit more useful. Um, and so one of the interesting things is I was trying to add uh, this this new software, uh, the Capture One 10 Pro software. I guess it, I don't know much about this, but I know that there's the Phase One camera system out there. It's supposed to be like a super high-end sort of medium format digital camera. And I think they have like a medium format digital back system that goes onto other cameras or is, 
in concert with other camera manufacturers? I don't know. I don't really know that part of it. But I've heard of the Phase 1 and how into that people are, and, uh, or at least into that in, in the scene of high-end editing and photography and adjustments that they have. But uh, they made, like, a software to do tethering and to do... Uh, like additional raw processing and editing that sort of mirrors some of the stuff that Lightroom does. But I've been interested to just try something else besides Lightroom for a little while. I have no idea what I'm doing now. But I thought creatively it might be interesting to try a couple different things out. There's some other software out there called Affinity that I really want to try. Also, that's some photo editing software that uh, is really powerful on the iPad. And I guess has a really powerful desktop version also. But given that I already have, you know, the I already, ha- I already have Photoshop and Lightroom, you know, so it's, it's not, I'm not adding anything I don't have. What I'm trying to do is just sort of see if there's another workflow or uh, a way to look at some of the stuff that I'm doing that would feel a little different or would maybe lend me to discovering another path and another kind of creative look that I could add to the pictures. So maybe there's something in there with that, but I'm trying to get into this Capture One 10 Pro software, this uh, Phase One Capture software and editing raw processing software that uh, that I picked up. You can download a free copy. I think it's like a, you know it's like a twenty day trial, something like that. And it's interesting too. It it only works with some camera types, if I understand right. Or you have to download the version of it specific to your camera type. I don't I don't know if it's for everybody, but I know it's uh, I know that the Sony cameras have a version made for it. To whatever end that means, I'm not sure if it's the raw file that it has to be built for or if it's the the camera profiles that it was already built for but i think it does it does the sony cameras uh and it also does uh the the phase one uh you know digital medium format back cameras that uh, that they build i suppose but it looks really technical when you get in there the color correction systems the kind of local adjustment stuff i don't know it's kind of interesting like sorting through and looking at it but uh but it'll be interesting uh it's just sort of an experimental thing what i'm really working on though is to try and rebuild um like a new Lightroom catalog. Like when I'm working in Lightroom and I'm working on all the photos, there's one catalog I have that's huge. It's enormous. It's really supposed to be an archive of all of the images I've made. And I tried to ingest all of those into Lightroom and have it kind of sort and catalog all those photographs so I could have a backup of them that was a little bit more structured by date and by system than, uh, than you know whatever kind of rolling system I had had in the years past from a decade ago or back whenever I was in high school or whatever it might have been. So I'm trying to kind of redo that a little bit. Um, it's gotten really, really enormous, and I really don't need all those photos with me. What I want to focus on is what I've done in the last two years or three years or so. For me, maybe uh, maybe all the way back to like 2014, I think it's just uh, you know it's the, the film roles that I was really into during that time. Um, so it shouldn't be too many files really to deal with, but what I'm going to try and do is sort of limit that down. So I have all the portfolio stuff, all the photos I want to grab, anything I'm going to put up, uh, on social media from a portfolio perspective, all of those few hundred photographs, they're totally going to be there in the best way that I can have them available to me in the Lightroom catalog. So I'm going to try and sort that out today. Then I want to have all the photos from 2015, all the photos from 2016, all the photos from so far in 2017 in a catalog that I can work on. So I can kind of go back a couple years if I need to uh, with, uh, you know, some of the some of the photos that I want to edit on. Or I can only focus just on, like, what's around right now. But that would really limit it down to a way smaller and more reasonable amount of images that I can kind of sort through. Um, you know, it's kind of difficult, like, when, uh, like, if something jumps back to the beginning of the Lightroom catalog, it's back to 2002. It's back to 2000. 
it's back to like I think some photos of me in middle school. It's a, it's astonishing to see you know you pop. Hey, is that a classmate of mine from seventh grade? What is this doing here? What am I doing? You know, like, is this what I'm working on right now? So on a level, it's almost distracting in a sense. Or you know, you, you go back and you're like, wow, this is like 2006, 2007 photos. Do I need, even really need to look at these right now? It's great I have them. It's great to have them archived, but I don't need them in my my clear and present danger of of uh, you know my task list of the stuff that I have to get done. Um, so I'm trying to sort some of that out, and with that kind of the computer all over on its own too. I'm trying to put some audio software on there so I can do some. Uh, some podcast post-production and rendering and posting stuff uh, from my MacBook. I have, I have a, a whole PC set up at home with the mixer board and the mics and stuff that, pl- that plug into the audio interface, and, and that all runs through Audition. But I'm trying to do some stuff on the MacBook, too, so that uh, while I'm out and about, kind of like this, I can, I can still be producing or I can, I, can cut, I can record stuff at home. I can put it on the Mac. I can clip it, render it, and whatever it is, and... Uh, and you know, try and put it together. So I don't know. I'm trying to sort out a few of those things. I try to get uh, some writing software too. I mean, I know like pages and word work great for everybody, but after college, after school, you know, when you're just uh, under the demand of putting together a 500 word essay for, you know, some dopey 90 minute class twice a week, uh, the, the, the use of writing sort of shifts a little bit. I'm not really putting together um, single, oh, here comes a Jake break. Nice. A little orange gravel truck just drove by me. That's that's the rawness of a podcast from the truck studio. <laughs> so, uh, what was I talking about? But uh, Capture 110, putting audio stuff, editing podcasts, getting the Lightroom stuff set up. All that's happening. The computer set up. I'm trying to get it going uh, so that it's kind of stripped down and that everything's kind of, all my ducks are in a row. That's what I'm going for. I want to line it up and knock it down. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get a calendar set up in a solid way so that I have, uh, I've been, I write my schedule, like I journal it out Monday through Friday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I'm trying to mirror that over to like a, a listing of what already includes like repeating calendar events for me. Uh, but I'm trying to go through each week and like kind of specialize it. So then I go through and I say, okay, I have this task and this task and this task and this reminder. And then I have two days to do this, but I have to be here on this day. I'm trying to put all that, you know, it's, it, it's not repeating events. And it's really something, maybe this changes. Maybe you guys have different kind of, I don't have that many meetings. I don't have that many uh, absolutes, or at least not to the point where I can't keep track of it. It's like, all right, I have that... I have that one on Tuesdays, and it seems to be in the same spot. Okay, well, I'll just kind of remember that. It's like when you went to school. You don't need a, a, a calendar of appointment dates, a, you know, a day planner to keep you going. But the good students, they do that. So what I'm going to try and do is be a good student instead of trying to, trying to keep everything straight in my head and just sort of intentionally forget if it doesn't seem to be a high enough priority for me to hold on to for two weeks in a row. Um, I'm going to try and change that around a little bit. I want to, I need to get some, some tasks finished. So that's part of it is uh, task-oriented. Get this done, get this done. Make sure that we actually keep getting this done. That's the other part, you know, like the website. I still need to finish the website. It's been a couple of weeks. Oh, the distractions of traveling and taking photos and doing stuff you thought you were actually supposed to be doing. Super fun. Really glad I was out and traveling and stuff. But yeah, now back home, I'm trying to sort media and put stuff together. And get my uh, get my stuff together for fall. 
I think it's going to be a good fall. Looking forward to uh, 2017, man. So I think that'll be just about everything for this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Thanks for listening to me talk to myself while I sit in my truck on my lunch break while I work on my computer and look at a book. It's been pretty cool. Glad that you enjoyed this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. You can find me at Billy Newman on Instagram or you can see my work at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. That's on the World Wide Web. And I think that should be everything. So yeah, thanks a lot for checking it out. Talk again soon. Bye.